very unusual place. And um, as our brother was sharing, I, I couldn't agree more. If you find yourself placed by God, because he determines the times and cities and places where we live, if you find yourself placed here, it really and truly is an honor. But I guess one of the things that scares me, it's an honor that I, I fear some people miss, and they let it pass them by, or they lose patience, and they miss their moment, they miss their chance, they miss their calling. And for those of you who don't know, Antanasio here is heading out onto the mission field full time. Now, one of many, one of many from this place who will go, right? If you haven't gone yet, you can go. We have huge gaps in ministry all around the world. That's why people like me get stretched this way, that way, in every way. Um, I mean, guys, I don't know if you really understand what it's like. I honestly don't think you get it. Do you know who I feel really sorry for? Rick. Let me give you a little insight. We have a meeting for five days in Singapore with about 15 apostles from around the world. The meeting starts about half eight and finishes at six. We have about five breaks. Lots of food. But Rick can't really have a break because there's not enough time to see him. So, when we're walking to a restaurant, the time walking to the restaurant is booked. The time walking back is booked by someone else. So, you may think, why are we so gracious and so patient with him? Because if you understood the pressure that that one individual is under, you would realize that, and by the way, the reason that happens is because there are many who are not doing their part. That's why. The reason few people end up under so much pressure that really they shouldn't be to that degree is because many people don't rise to the challenge. They become part of the religious system that we can all become part of. And I thank God for this fellowship and for our psyche, for our perspective on the last days. Because I repeat, guys, in your region, are you the one who's called? In your area of gifting, are you the one who's called? Well, then you need to get over whatever hurdles or obstacles stand in your way. Amen? Amen. So today is your day, but the content of what I want to share, it applies to all of us, every single one of you. So I ask you to hear me prophetically. I led the church in Glasgow for about 12 years, and we were the home of the doctor's fellowship. We had about 20-something doctors with us medical doctors, and some of the conversations we had with them were absolutely fascinating. One time, we, we were asking, why do people die? You know, what, what causes the body to die? And there's more than one answer to that. But one of the answers that really fascinated me was one of the doctors said, well, imagine you went to a photocopier, and you photocopied something, and then you photocopied the photocopy, and then you did that again, and then you did that again, what are you going to end up with? Not a very good copy, right? And she, and she said, the, the cells in the body replicate themselves every seven years. So it's a completely different, but we are what we eat. So you take in your food, and then it replicates itself, but it doesn't do a good job. So after a few copies, you actually begin to get sick, 
something gets in and you actually die. And when I heard that illustration, the body of Christ, when I heard that, it just really spoke to me about the church and why churches die. That we do plant churches, we're called to do that, and we send teams out to do that, we send individuals out to do that, but very often it's a copy of a copy, which is a copy of a copy, and the copy of the copy can die. And it's critical that we get back to that original copy, the original version of what the church is, because my Lord, if you look around the world and you look at the, if you ask, if you were an alien coming to earth and you said, give me an example of what the church is, wow, you've got all manner of examples, right? Some terrible, some good, but you've got an enormous number that really shouldn't be there. Turning your Bibles a moment to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. The experts tell us that this is the original copy. That the issues, the points, and I'm going to bring you ten of them, don't worry, I'll bring them briefly. That the issues that we see spelled out in these few verses, just about ten verses, they identify and specify what the church should be. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. See that? This is the church, one of the factors that identify the church. The the, the Lord's hand was with them, the presence of God. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus uh, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first. It's the first church. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During During this time, some prophets, so you've got apostles and prophets. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up through the Spirit. There's the gift of the Holy Spirit. He predicted that a severe famine would spread over the whole Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one of them was able, decided to help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did. See, they were generous. This they did by sending their gift with the elders via Barnabas and Saul. Let me just stop right there. The experts tell us that if we want to plant a church, if you want to plant a church, Antonasio, Pastor Simeon, that with just contained within those few verses, step by step, are the elements, the factors that the first copy had. And one of the first things it says is that the hand of the Lord was with them. The presence of God was there. It may sound like a bit of a moot point. It may sound silly to say that. But I visit a lot of homes, guys. I visit loads of people. 
And I can tell you, it scares me when I walk into a home because in some places, man, you just can't feel the presence of God. Right? And it's the same in some churches. You go in some churches. There's a reason why you join the church you join, right? Because it's so, one day you walked in here, right? And you felt who? You encountered who? You encountered God, I hope. Amen? And that's the reason. That's the ultimate reason why people stay. They feel that God is in this. God is behind this. You know, even for me, when myself and my wife were buying our first house, we saw many houses, but we went into this particular house. It was a small house. And we were going from room to room. And I went in this one living room on my own, and I stood, and guess what? Guess who was in the room? The presence of the Lord was in the room. Very strong. It was funny because I stepped in the hall, not so strong. Stepped in the room, very strong. And I went around the house. I didn't say a thing. And then we ended up in that room with the lady who was selling the house. And I just turned, I th- I, I just turned to her and I said, this is a really nice room. And she said, ah, my mother died in this room. It's not the kind of thing you want to say to someone you're selling a house to, to be honest with you. <laughs> my mother died in this room. And she said, my mother was bedridden. But she was a praying woman. And see right here, she prayed all the years in that bed, and then eventually she died. Precious in the sight of the Lord, right? And there was something there, and I actually bought that house. Somewhere I wanted to be. And so it is with our churches, so it is with the places we plant. But there's a cost to that. There's a cost to that with the home that you lead, fathers, right? If you're the leader of a home, there's a cost there. And I've got to be conscious of that cost to me, you know, per, uh, personally. And we've got to be conscious as a church. We've had some people in to look at the building because we want to sell this building and move on to a better place. And the guy who came was talking to me at the back there and he was saying, what kind of building do you want? And like at the back of my head, you know what I was thinking? Do you know what, sir? There's no building in this world that will attract people, you know. There's no building in the world. I'll tell you a secret. Young man came to the Lord under me years ago. He went to Bible college, became a pastor. Uh, he, and for a time he did well. And then he ended up in his own place, in his own church. And a miracle happened. And someone ended up giving him the most brilliant building. It's a building to die for. And not only was it a building, it was fully equipped. Everything was ready. And I preached for him a few times. Do you know what the problem is? There's nobody there. There's nobody in it. There's like 10 people. And I, I took him aside. I said, you know, I need to explain something to you. The presence of God is that which attracts people. Not buildings. And you can have all the strategies and all the stuff and everything else. It will not last. It's not going to work. But my problem with my brother is I need to tell you that's your responsibility, Father. That's your responsibility, Pastor. Just to give you an idea, these things are always in picture form in the Old Testament. Remember, God would tell them that he wanted a sacrifice. And they had to build the altar and they had to place the sacrifice. What happened when it was acceptable? The fire came down. The presence of God came down 
and took up that sacrifice. It was a sign that God accepted it. Now, please pay attention. At some point in your life, that was you. At some point in your life, you were not near God. His presence was not in you, but you wanted Him. And you began to shed yourself of the ways of this world. You began to move towards Him. You sacrificed. And as you got closer, at a certain point, the presence of the Lord came on you. Remember? Yeah, every single one of us. If you're born again, you know what that is. But remember what happened in the Old Testament. If the fire went out, the fire did not come back from heaven. There was no second portion. It didn't happen. What the priests had to do, instead of kajump from heaven, the priests had to go and build a fire themselves. They had to work at it and work at it and make that thing alight again. Only whenever they decamped and moved would the fire actually fall. So my word to that pastor on several occasions is, Pastor, the building doesn't matter, friend. In fact, it's even become a problem because maybe you're relying on that. And we need to move forward as a church, amen? Amen. Physically and practically, but not stupidly. Right? And we pray this morning that God does expand us to the left and right, but let the Lord do it. And let us remember who it is we're following. So, for your homes, fathers, whose responsibility is it to bring in that presence? Husbands, fathers of the home, to maintain that. The pastors of the churches, as you guys go forth, because Pastor Simeon will be going after Christmas to begin the plant. And many of you also, in your region, to your language group, as we proceed after Christmas, I'll give a lot of detail about the strategy and the way I want to go forward. But many of you will begin to find that, pers- that responsibility coming personally to you. Amen? Amen? And I want you to prepare yourself right now for that. So number one, they had God's presence. Number two, they accepted other ministries. If you read through the, those few verses, you will see about eight or nine apostles who are mentioned. So you've got a group of church planting apostles. And into that mix come another group of church planting apostles. And guess what? They all seem to get on very well. There's a lot of cooperation. There's a lot of koinonia. There's a lot of fellowship. Now, as these two men go out to plant churches, let me say, as all of you listen, pastors don't plant churches. Okay? Not biblical. Not good. And one of the reasons why we have the mess or the lack of growth in the world is because of a, a failure to embrace this. Jesus did not call 12 pastors. Did he? He called 12 apostles. He called 12 apostles. Now remember, he's in the building, he's in the business of extending the kingdom. So he didn't call 12 pastors. That's not what happened. He called 12 apostles, and through them, he began to plant the church. And many people have their lives, their families, their marriages, their health, their homes destroyed because they're trying to do a job that they're not called to do. Can you say amen? Amen. Believe me, it's true. Trust me, it's true. And so we've got to get back to the original copy and see what Jesus did and replicate that. Do you know who we send? Do you know who leads churches? The best preacher. That's what happens in a room like this. Whoever can speak the best ends up being the leader, right? Whoever can can teach the best 
end up being the leader. But that person, even though they're a preacher or a teacher, they may not be an apostle, right? And then the church doesn't grow. By the way, just so you know, the word pastor in the Greek is only mentioned one time in the New Testament. The word apostle is mentioned 83 times. So Christ was in the business of extending the church and myself and Antanasio went out privately just a few weeks ago because I wanted him to understand, as you go, please know the nature in which you go. Go apostolically, but don't be proud, <laughs> don't be haughty. The way I see it is really we begin in an a, 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 like evangelistic way and then we maybe pastor a bit and we learn how to teach and eventually the anointing of apostlehood comes fully upon us. But that's got to be a God thing, right? And, you know, ordained and blessed by the structure of the church as well. Many years ago, I've been an apostle for a long time, and many years ago, I saw two young pastors planting churches, and I felt sorry for them because I knew they, they're not, they not going to last. And I began to become friends with them, and my goal was, I didn't need anything, I didn't want anything, I just wanted to get them in line with the book so they wouldn't get hurt. And I started to befriend them and offer who I am. And they didn't want that. They wanted to remain independent. And it's one of the few times in my life where I've had a personal encounter with Jesus. You know, sometimes he just disciples you himself. And one day, the Lord just walked alongside me and said this, if they come under you, they will survive. But if they insist on standing alone, they will be washed away. Guess what happens? <laughs> One of those guys today makes pots, pottery, and sells pots. The other one went in further on in finance and has become an award-winning financier. Amen. Need to build for eternity, right? It's a sad thing, so be careful, guys. Be very careful about how we plant, what we plant, and understand that the structure is a God-given structure. It's a biblical one. It isn't going to change. Amen. Amen. So first of all, they had God's presence. Secondly, they accepted other ministries, basically apostolic ministries. Thirdly, it was a discipling church, as we saw there, that many disciples came. By the way, let me just emphasize the point at the risk of laboring the point. When it says in those scriptures, Pastor, do you know what it says? They were teaching one another. Do you know who was teaching who? The apostles were teaching the, uh, the up-and-coming pastors. That's what was happening. And that's what caused the explosion of the early church. That's what was happening. They were beginning to identify themselves. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the description of the early church. Daily they met in each other's homes and they devoted themselves to whose teaching? Apostles teaching. Okay? Because that was going to destroy some of the preconceptions. You know, pastors don't like taking risks, typically. They want everybody to be safe. And, you know, uh, and that can sometimes, very often, thwart the growth of the church. But this principle and this uh, picture is not just New Testament, by the way. It's throughout your scriptures. It was with Moses whenever he appointed the leaders of thousands leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties. It was with David with his mighty men. It was with Paul with his Timothys. And it was with Jesus with his twelve. And now, if I could get very prophetic here, because of who you are as a church, I believe there is an apostolic anointing right here. 
Hey, Pat. It's okay. Stay there. <laughs> Many years ago, I had a very big building in Dublin. And we had free time on Sunday afternoon. The building wasn't used. And Redeemed Church of Christ, you know Redeemed? Yeah. Redeemed Church of Christ had come and just arrived in Dublin. But they had nowhere to meet. And I met the pastor, a very nice guy, Richard. And he came and said, look, uh, I've been sent just to scout out what we're going to do and begin our whole development. I said, no problem, come and use our building. And for several years, they used our building. And the church grew phenomenally. They planted here, they planted there. And I heard that the apostle was coming. And I could tell the different pastors, everybody was frightened because the apostle was coming. And weeks went by, and the day came. They're all from uh, Lagos and all the rest of it. The place was packed. And I was waiting for this apostle. Guess who walked in? A woman from Nigeria. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I expected a man. Amen? I did. And this woman walked in. And I thought, well, there you go. As I got talking to her, I thought, wow, I would obey her too. Praise the Lord. <laughs> she was very authoritative, very anointed, very appointed. Amen? Amen. So don't, don't get locked into anything here. We have work to do, and God will use whatever vessel, whatever sex, whoever makes themselves available. Yes. Amen? Amen? Listen carefully to me, because this is important. The way I see it is there are three phases of apostleship. There was the apostles of the Lamb, those who were put on the earth, 12 very special people, Paul being the replacement, 12 very special people whose names are written in heaven, right? And those were men who were called, 11 of them martyred horribly and terribly. They were called to be with Christ on the earth at that time. The apostles of the Lamb. They were followed by what we would call the apostles of the church. Those who went out all over the world and established the kingdom as we know it today. But in the last days, there are what we would call the apostles of the bride. And that's what we have functioning now on the earth. Ideally, in all its forms, but it is there. There's, there are very different roles. Those first two, the apostles of the Lamb, consolidated the birth of the church. We just read it. The apostles of the church expanded the church into all nations. But the apostles of the bride are those who bring all nations back together. Just like you see here this morning. So these phases of apostleship, they're different. Don't try and be like the early church in that sense, if you know what I mean. Have an awareness of the day and the city in which you live. Have an awareness of the hour in which God has chosen to place us and to put us. And the more we become aware of that, the more efficacious, I believe, we become in constructing what God wants us to do. And then the kingdom opens up. It be does become explosive. Amen? Amen? They had God's presence, but that's something we must sacrifice for. They accepted other ministries. They were a discipling church. And fourthly, it was a giving church. Once again, it sounds like a moot point. sounds like something you would just pass over. How can I put it? Let me put it like this. Think back to a time in your life when you were growing. I guarantee you, you were given. Think back. Think about it. <laughs> think back over your years with the Lord and identify a time when you went through spiritual growth, I'm talking. At that time, I guarantee you, you were giving. It might mean Jesus said, if I can't, 
trust you with mammon, there's no spiritual gift, right? He will not release that. These two things are not just interrelated for the beginning of our growth, but they sustain our growth. Amen? And I repeat, as I go to churches or whatever and I sit with pastors, I would say to them, and many pastors will say this, they say, I don't feel I'm growing. And what's the first question? How's the giving? And that blindsides many people because they think it's too practical. They want to be hyper-spiritual. It doesn't work like that. These two things have a correlation. Are you growing? Very quiet. (laughs) Are you growing? How's the giving? Mark my words. Just take a practical step of increasing your giving and watch what happens. Right? These two things are related. My heart is linked. Don't blame me for that. Jesus connects those two very firmly in an unshakable way. Amen? Amen. Number five, it was a multicultural church. And you can read that everywhere. They talked about people coming from this nation and that nation. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Talks about men from all nations. And I encourage you as you go out and bless you guys, LFC, for your commitment to internationalism. You've been fantastic. I don't think we have any way forward. I have been a pioneer and a prophet into this thing for a long time. I have to say, you know, trying to develop international churches and trying to get different apostles around the world to do that is not easy because people don't see it. You know my three circles where we have LFC and we have the language service and we have the cultural service, right? But people laugh at this. But it's not funny. The reason we have that language, the reason we have this service is so the younger people can have somewhere to go that they relate to because the language service, it's going to be a little not cool, you know. Are you with me? It's true. And as we begin to pull in, because we're going to do that, to pull in nations and people groups, by all means they can have their language service. But I have pleaded with people, don't be selfish. So, I mean, for example, with the Nepalese, Don't just take your language and take all your people and shut yourself off just for the Nepalese because you're going to lose the next generation. We are recording. Ray, don't give that recording to anybody. Um, See, do you know what I'm saying to you folks? It's not funny. It's very serious. I've had two 16-year-old girls in the last sort of seven years both trying to commit suicide. One of them nearly succeeded. So in in the first instance, the problem was the fact that the father would not listen to me. I warned him endless times that if you don't bring your family to the international service, your daughter is going to drift. What happened to daughter? She drifted. When he became selfish for his culture, and she's trying to kill herself, then the other girl nearly succeeded, and they hid it from me until the third attempt. The third attempt, she was in intensive care. I go in there, they're pumping her stomach out and the father's standing there. Same problem. She stopped going to church because she couldn't relate to the church. Ten days ago, I get an emergency phone call. Can I go to Glasgow? Girl threatening suicide. And that father, I have sat and I have pleaded with him. You laugh at my circles. You laugh at the future. But I'm trying to protect the generations. And you can't even see it, sir. Are you with me? God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's an intergenerational God. He provides for all three. But the selfishness of those older people, typically 
when they get displaced and they come into another culture, they want to, you know, babble and they want to recreate what they had back home and the cost is to the forthcoming generations and someone has to stop that happening. Amen. Amen. And education can stop it happening. So it's not funny. It's a very, very, very serious issue. And I thank you for cooperating with it. About 10 days ago in Singapore, I gave a full uh, seminar to the different guys from around the world on the development of international churches in the cities. Uh, and I've done that many times, but never with, um, with a lot of opposition, shall we say. Very strong opposition. But this was the first time, it's the first time that that entire room came into agreement. I was over the moon. I was absolutely delighted. I thought, praise the Lord. So the guys from South America, the guys from the Pacific, for North America, they said, you know what? This is it. And praise the Lord for Rick. He endorsed it at the end and said, this is what we should be building in our cities, especially with the major city churches. Amen? Amen. So thank you, LFC, for being cooperative and, and going with the flow. We need that. We need that. You are the pioneers. You're going to be that, you know, those apostles, whether you like it or not, right? We've found ourselves here. This is our task. This is our job. And this is what you guys and the rest of us are going to do. You overseas, us here locally. Point six. It was a charismatic church. If you remember, they said some of them took some time aside. And it says in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, And the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Now that's a word from the Lord. That's what that is. That's a gift in operation. That's the gift of prophecy in operation. And in your churches, in Florida, in Santome, please employ the gifts of the Spirit. And if I can just say, folks, don't, again, don't just get a one-minded thing about the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are, are critical. I, I could give you a six-week series on that, about why we need the gifts and what the gifts do. Let me give you an example of the gifts in operation and how they grow churches. I was preaching years ago in our Pakistani service and in Glasgow, and a family came in and sat at the back, and I saw the son, their son, he's about 17, something like that. I didn't think anything of it. The next week, the guy was there again, but this time, the gifts were flown, and I see things, I had a vision, you see. So I called the guy after the service. Can I talk to you? Now, he's not saved. None of the family's saved. I said, I see things. You know, that sounds scary. Me not, me not saved. I said, I see things. And guess what I just saw? I saw you. You were with a blonde-haired girl. She's a white girl. He's Pakistani. You were with a blonde-haired girl. And you were in a nightclub. She had a bob style. You were in a nightclub. And there were white guys in that nightclub that didn't like a Pakistani girl, a boy with a white girl. And you left the club, and you weren't even looking, and you were surrounded, and those white guys beat you to a pulp. Bye. God bless you. See you next week, you know. I left him. I didn't have any explanation. That's what I saw. That's your problem. Off he went. A couple of weeks later, I was given an altar call for salvation. He run down the front. Oh, Lord, save me. Yeah. I said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. What's the problem? He said, your vision. That's my girlfriend. And she's lost. And what you saw is true, you know. That was going to happen to me. But she's lost. I'm not saved either. And that's why I came. I want the Lord to save me. God didn't just save him. He saved the mother, the father, and the sister. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's a gift, right? 
That's the gift of a vision, of prophecy, simply operating in the church. When's the last time someone, one of you here, went to another person and said, I've just heard from God for you? I mean, really, not joking, not pretending. There's a lot of stuff I don't like. Sorry, but I don't. When it gets flattery and all that kind of, you know what I mean? I don't like it. I've got no time for it. I mean, the real word of God. I mean, read the book. The stuff that these guys say, you're going to go and you're going to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not good. It can be very serious stuff, but it's a warning. Amen? Amen. Your gifting, it's inside you. Stir it up like we were doing here last night. It's important for protection. The gifts, the charismata being used among us. But it's important for your calling. Because the church is involved in that. This church was planted about 15 years ago. But a couple of years before it was planted, Rick came to Dublin where I was. And he said, would you send me a team from this church to plant LFC? Yeah, no problem. Six people, I think he asked me for. I I don't have any people, but I'll find six people. And one day I was up on the platform. Our service ended. And a lady walked in who I'd only seen once before, I believe. I didn't know her name. But she walked through the back. She wasn't a member in our church. She walked in the back door. I had a word from the Lord. Go and tell her she's going to London. So I could, you know, come here. Her name was May Carrick, for for those of you who are around. And I said, you know, when you just walked in that door, I just had a word from the Lord for you. You're to go to your pastor. Go now. Go to your pastor and tell him you're leaving the church. And you're coming to join us here. Because you're going to London. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, (laughs) No. And she started to explain why it wasn't possible. And I remember I, I silenced her. I said, you know what? I'm not interested in any of the reasons why not. I have delivered what I have delivered. That's what you're to do. And she came here, right? She was part of the original team that came from Dublin. Amen? Amen. That's the word of God. That's the charismata. And some of you are sitting, not called maybe, not stirred up, because others are not using that gifting. Is it scary? Yes, it's scary. Do you get it wrong? Yes, you get it wrong. But it, it grieves me. You know, it grieves me. We're built as a body to help one another. And when you remain quiet, when you're not bold enough to step out and speak what you know God is saying, that's not good, right? Amen? Amen. Will you be bold? Will you use that charismata? That's what we see building the early church. That's what was doing it. So don't be afraid, not just for protection like with... uh, Fred's church there, not just with calling that you can get called, but also with healing. And this, again, this is not funny. My friend is dead now, Morgan. He died of cancer. And he and I, I worked for him for a while. One day in the meeting, at the end of the meeting, he came up and he's a big lad, full of fun and full of health. And he came up and said, hey, Mike, I got a pin on my back here. Would you just pray for my back? Do you know, as soon as he said that, you get that every day, you get you know, my foot so this and that. As soon as he said that to me, I knew it's not as bad. I had a suspicion it was cancer. To be honest, it was cancer. I just, I just, that's not your back. I just know it's not your back. And we had this lady in the church who had the gift of healing. She had prayed for people and the whole history of people. And I, because I, maybe because I knew him so well, I've worked miracles, God has worked miracles through me, no problem. But in that instance, I felt this was her job. So I said, you know what, Morgan, just stay there. And I went over to this lady, who I know has a gift. I said, come here. He asked me to pray for his back. 
would you come and pray? Do you know what she said to me? No. And she started to put on this fake humility. Oh, oh, I, I couldn't possibly pray for him, you know. I felt like slumping up the head to be honest with you. That's not humility, that's pride. Get over there and get on with your gifting. Go and pray for him. She wouldn't get involved in it. And eventually when she did, she was half-hearted in it. What, what is that? What is that? JD, do you know how you use your gift? Up here. Get up there, take the mic, and sing it out. Right. Amen? Amen? It is not humility to sit down. It is not humility to shrink back. That's not humility. It's actually inverted pride. That's right. And some of you have giftings. And when you're not using them, and maybe you're afraid of what people will say, you're afraid of the reaction, you're afraid like Jonah that you're going to be wrong. Well, sometimes maybe you will be wrong. But I tell you, I mean, speaking from experience, the more you exercise that gift, the sharper it will become. It's like anything else. And you'll start to to, to roll in those giftings. And they are in this room. Right? They are in this room. We've got them. God has deposited them in you. What is it in you? Especially that which is dormant. What is within you? We stir it up as we plant these churches. Number seven. It was a praying church. Once again, it sounds like, you know, a a pat issue there, but it's not. Don't give up on praying, no matter what, as Pastor Janet was praying this morning. Don't stop. Don't back off. Don't give up. Are you hearing me? Some of you have been praying for stuff, and you're ready to stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep on praying. Keep on pressing through. If you feel like giving up, whatever is calling you to another solution or another option, that thing is an imposter. That thing is a liar. There's only one God, right? And any other temptation to go this way or that is not the Lord. I will continue in prayer. I will remain in prayer. Early tomorrow morning, I've got to go to Dublin. I'm meeting the chief apostle for Ireland. Peter Finch, he's an old friend of mine. I was his assistant for eight years. Um, we went through sometimes, I tell you. A poor guy, he's a good guy. I never would have believed he would have ended up where he is now, and I'm over the moon for him. But let me tell you this, right? We began a church, myself and Peter, many years ago, and there was a group of about seven pastors, eight pastors with us. The church became very large, and we had calm waters. Everything was fine. But sometimes a storm comes, you know? <laughs> My, did we have a storm. We had a big, big storm. Uh, And we went from eight pastors to seven pastors to six pastors to five pastors. His wife ran off with another guy. Took the kids, three kids. He had to sell his house, give her half the money. And he's our leader. And we had a lot of people. And many people began, do you know what I did? I continued in prayer. But I remember that on Monday nights we used to meet. And one by one, the people began to leave. You know? Because it was too choppy. It was too rocky. Remember when Jesus got near the goal with the cross? Where have they all gone? What was the expectation? And I remember the weeks going by and the months going by. And in the end, it was me and him on Monday night. (laughs) And the other guys had jumped ship. And he was looking at me as if to say... "Um, Will you go also? 
No, I won't go. I won't go also. He took a few years off. I actually took his position. He took a few years off. And now I'm over the moon to tell you that God has not just restored him. I mean, God does a good job. He has restored him phenomenally. Tomorrow I'm just going to go over and meet him and it'll be an emotional reunion. We spent many years together through hard times. But my point is, I don't believe in giving up. That's my point. Don't give up. Whatever you're praying for, you're going to lose it if you don't, you know, if you do give up. Don't pull back. Don't pull back. Just keep pressing through. And eventually you will get through. Amen? Amen. Number eight. It was a church that accepted changes. And again, you guys are good at that, fantastic at that. That's why we're called VFC. Very frequent change. Right. And there is very frequent change. Praise the Lord. It's true. One of the things about churches and change, churches hate change, but they love change. Churches demand change, and then when you bring the change, they reject the change, right? You have to change, and then we don't want to change. So it's just, it's the way it is. It's a tension you have to live with, but changes are coming. As I say, at the last week in January, first week in February, we'll begin to articulate some of those things in detail. Various people are going to come forward and share different areas that we're going to be developing. Point nine, they they embrace teamwork. And I'm going to conclude because I want us to take some time and pray for Antanasio as he's sent off. And point ten, it was a sending church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 3, it says they sent them off. And even as we send you today, Antanasio, overseas, 